0: All right, everyone, welcome back to the Cutlass Podcast. So today I wanted to take time to talk about a topic that uh, many of us think about or maybe we don't think about frequently enough, Um and that's growing to a new role of responsibility. So whether you've recently been frocked perhaps as a petty officer, been promoted as a foreman or a team leader, or even if you're expecting to assume the role as a chief executive officer, it's going to take time to grow into your new position of responsibility and authority. You're probably going to make mistakes But over time, you're going to learn from those mistakes and become a better leader and manager. And then regardless of how senior you are, there are many things that you can do when assuming a new position of responsibility or authority – to help ease that transition. So with me today to talk to that topic, it's my pleasure to introduce Command Master Chief Samara McBride. She's a native of Chad, Africa, and enlisted in the United States Navy in September of 1999, and then attended OSA School in Dam Neck, Virginia. And then she served in that capacity uh, as an operational specialist on USS Fletcher, USS Gonzalez. She's been in Assault Craft Unit 4, USS Lassen. She's been around the world. She served in Japan, and she's done a lot of great things. Uh, In April 2010, she was selected as the Pacific Fleet Sea Sail of the Year, and that's a big deal. That was competing against all the first-class petty officers basically in the Pacific Fleet, and we only select four of those in the Navy to get promoted. So because of her selection, she was meritoriously promoted to Chief Petty Officer, and then she did several more tours, one on the USS Boxer. In other places. We had time together where we served as uh, facilitators on the fleet CPO training team for USS Fleet Forces Command when I served as Fleet Mass Chief there. And then she was selected into the Command Mass Chief program, and she's currently serving as the Command Mass Chief on USS Gonzalez. So Samira is a graduate of the Senior Enlisted Academy, the CMC Cobb course, and she's got an associate's degree in general studies from Columbia College, and she speaks four languages. So Samira... Welcome to the Cutlass Podcast. How are things going for you?
1: Well, hi, Paul. Uh, Good afternoon. Everything is going well, and I'm excited to be a part of this podcast and share um, experiences and talk, not only leadership, but uh, give uh, the guidance that we can and best help support somebody do better in their role.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Especially on this top of growing into a new role. That's one thing I know... Uh, I would always get, you know, even as a fleet mass chief, you know, we'd have command mass chiefs like you younger that were going to come into those roles and they were always curious about what it was, how it was different. Because uh, as you know, once you get in the seat or in that new position of authority, things aren't always what they thought you were going to be, you know. So hopefully the discussion we have today can help uh ease some of the anxiety in that transition period. So, um, you know, you heard my introduction, but I want to start off about you've transitioned into new roles over your career. But the one I want to understand is how was it transitioning into the role as a command master chief and how was that different?
1: My transition into the uh command master chief role was – I was very nervous going into it because I've always checked into a command as an operation specialist, no matter the rank. I knew exactly what I was going to do. If there was there were issues, I knew how I was going to fix them. I mean, I was comfortable in my role as an OS. Yeah. Um, but my first time, you know, showing back up on the Gonzales because I served there as an OS two, I'm um, back in 2003 to 2005. It was totally different because I've never been anybody's command master chief before. And not only that, I've never been anybody's master chief before also. So checking back on, I really had to get in line with not only my captain's intent to just understand what the command needed, but also understand my my scope of influence and responsibility. And once I got in tune with that uh, and then looked at what the command needed and where we needed to go, my my job was gapped six months when I got there. Okay. So not only did we have to reintroduce my role, we had so many things going on that we had to almost realign everybody with their roles. And once everybody understood The organizational portion of it and where they fall into the organization, it kind of made it a lot easier for myself and the triad to start maneuvering into success.
0: Okay. Yeah, that does bring another challenge when the person before you has been vacant in the seat for a while, right? Because the organization has adapted to that position not being filled. On USS Juno, my first command mass chief tour, the CMC billet had been gapped too. So that was interesting because probably a new, quote unquote, natural leader had filled that spot or was filling that position. So it adds an interesting dynamic. So let's go through um some tits and advice we can offer our listeners And I think a lot of these will find that no matter what role you're getting ready to fill and the the position you just most recently filled or filled over your career, I think this helps anyone. So the first thing I'm always going to tell people, I've mentioned on several podcasts before, don't go into a job doing what you think you want to do. You got to review the responsibilities and instructions which govern your roles and and your authorities. So what was your experience? Is that something you did as a command mass chief? What's your advice there?
1: Honestly, um, you know, when I was at Enle going to the CMC cop course, you know, I had a whole plan because we had to do our expectations, and one of the things was that hey, what's the first com- who is your audience? The first conversation you're going to have is at your wardroom, your chief's mess, your first classes. What are you going to put out? And I had a whole plan. Yeah. But uh, to be honest with you, all of that went went away as soon as I checked in because theory. And practical or application is two different things. Yeah. One thing I would say is just you you need to know the requirements. You have to be in line with procedural compliance and the formality piece of any any portion of, say, of tasking that we have at the command. But you really need to kind of buckle down and know your people a little bit because once you figure out their talents, it's easier to push them into what you need them to do. And then you can be their forceful backup when you're looking at the instructions, when you're looking at the black and white, when you're looking at the requirements, when you're preparing for an inspection, uh, because you're almost uh, the frontline leader in it. So just understand where to maneuver, what your network pool is. And then your your talent pool will help shape uh, you know, the command success based on the requirements for either, either inspections or whatever the ship's mission or tasking is.
0: You know, those documents, you know, whether it's a swarm or an instruction or a policy or maybe a job description, they lay out your responsibilities. So that establishes the what and the why you're in the position and what you're after. So getting aligned to those responsibilities is huge and everyone should do that. So the next thing I yeah. think, and you mentioned this, right, is – In a new role, right, as you go up, you know, I think some people may have the tendency to just default on what they did in the previous role and usually that role of responsibility was much more narrow, right? So one thing you'll see that when you step into new positions as you promote or advance – your scope of influence is going to increase, but your influence targets are going to change too, because you're going to start leading through other people, right? And that means that the relationships and the key influence targets, leading down, leading across, and leading up, are going to change. So, how did you do that in your command, Master Chief? Role
1: once I got commander's intent and understood where we were at a command as a command, you know what environment I was walking into, be it good order and discipline, being the standard, be it not meeting. The mark with inspections, whatever the case, preparing for in-serve, um, getting ready for deployment. All of those things happen within six months of me, you know, being on board the ship. And what I had to do was get in line with um, what my captain's vision was. And then I started with the chiefs mess, because in my opinion... If the chief mess, chief mess is in line, not only with commanders in tempo, but with the standards, the tone and the good order and discipline piece, we touch everyone. So division officers are well trained, first classes are well trained, uh, department heads are well trained, and then it makes, I mean, it just moves. So yes. I actually started with the chief's mess. How I did it was I took a little bit of time to just observe. My mess, so I can get to know who's who, where are the strengths and the weaknesses, and then where I can inject when it and made it a training opportunity. So it was very hard because I had to be very, very patient and manage my expectations and not walk in and just start moving and shaking things. So I had to meet the command and I had a very junior mess also meet the command where we're at and then go from there with training and training and being part of fleet CPO training team actually helped me a lot. When it came down to pulling back and, you know, meeting the team where we're at and then pushing us forward and being who we are today.
0: Yeah. So when I, re- you yeah, know, I filled in my role when I first came in, you know, initially command leadership, right now you're working with a commanding officer, right? You come from working at the departmental level, working for a department head and they've got authority, right? But the scope of their responsibilities is narrow to a department. And then you're working at the command level and your CO now has new responsibilities and authorities. You got to understand those a bit. Because you're going to help advise them on those things. But also, like you said, your peers and who you influence to the left and right change. Uh, and we'll talk a little bit about that and transitioning from kind of peer to supervisor. But then also down below, right, it was like, although you engage, I'm sure, with the sailors day to day, I found myself as command mass chief, really, and the advice I was given is really spend time with your leading chief petty officers, your department all CPOs, because if you could get them on board and aligned – your leadership through them would translate down through the command. Absolutely. Um, all right. So part of it, and you just mentioned this too, the next thing I think you do is you start taking inventory of what you own, right? So I know my responsibilities. I know the, the relationships with the people up, down, and across. Now I kind of want to get a sense of, hey, how's my team performing to meet the objectives? How's morale and things like that? So uh how do you do this?
1: Um, I constantly assess, and again, Part of it is training. So we do a lot of training in the Chief's Mass and we do a lot of, I have a lot of conversations, you know, with the, with the leadership there. Part of reassessing that is where I was at when we picked up the command to, you know, the performance. And then as you see the sailors moving on the deck plates, you know, with a little bit of pride, you know, good order and discipline is kind of, you know, on the deck plates and your headaches, you still have headaches, but they're slowing down. I'll give you an example. I had a a young chief who, after a while, when we sit in and doing training, she actually sat like me, talked like me and her mannerisms, she picked up my mannerisms. And that's when you know, okay. They are watching and they are becoming you. So when you, when you're doing it, be it right or wrong, you're being the example and they're going to follow, especially if they're really influenced by you and respect you and respect what you are. To me, when I start seeing me on the deck plates throughout the whole ship, that's when I realized that, okay, we are moving in that direction.
0: Okay. Yeah. And you're walking around, like you said, you're trying to get a sense of compliance to standards, right? Where my team is there and their attitude of the team, I think. And then asking if things are not up to standard, you have got to start to assess why, right? So to your point, do I have a lack of education and training? Perhaps people aren't enforcing the standards. Maybe there was a former leader that wasn't performing or leading well, um, maybe there's a lack of involvement and process improvement. So you start to engage these things and start taking notes. I'm sure you were taking notes in that first kind of 90 days of your tour.
1: Absolutely. Um, Not just the 90 days, but I think I still take notes today because there's always something. So you perfect one thing, something else comes about. And then we are in a cycle. So the same cycle the ship was at when I checked in, we're back at that same cycle again today. So, you know, even the same group of sailors we had, they were well-trained coming off deployment about six, seven months ago. You know, now we're almost 40, 50% turned over. So we're back to bringing that standard back up. So the key is to ensure that Whenever you check into a command and and you want to make changes, it's not abrupt changes. You want to make changes that are going to be long term and they're going to sustain because that's the right thing to do. Those are the standards, to your point, formality, compliance, and we're sticking to the black and white. But spending a lot more time in training, ensuring that our reliefs know that, hey, this is what is this is what's expected here. And this is what we do. And we don't want any uh, bad habits or tribal knowledge it doesn't work like that here you got to go with the black and white and now we're back in training mode and that's just the way the navy is it goes in cycles so you have to kind of stay ahead of that cycle how do you do that you better prepare your teams you communicate up and down and you almost have a pathway ahead and it's transparent across the board you're constantly communicating ahead versus in the tornado
0: okay you know when you're gauging attitude to your team right so when i was command first tour and and before that I, I was doing this probably not as more as mindful as I do now. But you know, when you look at the power and influence model I use, right, there's three usually attitudes that can exist in your team. So are they compliant and indifferent? Are they resistant and disconnected, or do they appear committed and cohesive? Not just watching the behaviors can tell you that, but what they say and do. I would sit down with key leaders, you know, that had been in the division or the department or the command a while. And I would just ask them, hey, what three things are going good? What three things need to be improved? And then I would take all that information and consolidate it. And I it would give me a good launching point for, hey, this kind of really needs immediate work. These things are going good. Uh, and then three things that need improvement, You know, if I could get my CEO to come in behind and go, hey, we need to make wins in this area. You can see real quickly, you'll send a signal that I heard you, I listened, and we're going to move on those things. So let's get to that. You mentioned it. Making changes, right? So there can be an urgency to want to make change, right? You come in and it's like, oh, things aren't up to standards. And in some cases, if things are unsafe or unethical, and you're just meet, not meeting mis- mission requirements that need to be met, you may have to make substantial changes. But how? what's your advice for making change when you come into a new organization?
1: I think anything that's unsafe, right, immoral, unethical, those things immediately, you have to change them. If people have to be held accountable, you have to hold accountable. If you have to, you know, get rid of some people, you have to get rid of some people. If you have to go back to training, then you go back to training. I mean, it just really depends on the environment. However, a lot of times when you're walking in, you may be the change that that command needs or that the division needs and you can't sit back if you think you have time sometimes you don't so again for myself I walked in and I was I had a whole plan That just 90 days I'm gonna do this I'm gonna do that but then it all went it all went out the window because it was showtime it was like lights camera action as soon as I checked on and it was full throttle Being that I was already a shipboard sailor, right, it was easier for me because I knew all of the areas of that ship and I could inject myself in anywhere that my CO needed me to make the command successful. And I was able to, with my, you know, team there, adjust where the training needed to be so that we can fill in the holes that we needed to, in order to be successful and be safe at the same time. So you have to almost be aware. I think the main, if I had to use one word, I would say aware of that surrounding. So although we want to take the time, you, we are there for a reason. So when you check into that command, you are all, you may be the answer. to all of those issues. So if you stay silent, or if you say, I want to pace myself, you will end up being part of the problem without even knowing that you're part of the problem.
0: There's good movies out there that show this kind of stuff. So remember the Titans, right? With Denzel Washington is a good example, (laughs) right? He comes in and like evaluates, but there's an example of, he doesn't have to wait too long, right? Because he's got experience, he knows the standards, he knows where a team should be, and he clearly sees, he uses a lot of great inspirational appeals. And he, you know, when I look at you know, using influence tactics. Sometimes you got to see those things in action and and be able to understand them. And then another one was in the 1980s, that movie Roadhouse, where Patrick Swayze plays the bouncer and he comes in and, you know, he watches the organization for a while. And then he has the meeting with everyone. And he's like, hey, you're dealing drugs, you're out. You're skimming money, you're out. Anyone else want to leave? Here's the standards. Those are just, although they're Hollywood – there is some truth that strings through in those approaches and they're effective. So um
1: Right. It's it's kind of it's kind of hard sometimes because again, you don't pick the situation you walk into. So um and then if you have a a, a very raw, uncut like crew and Chiefs mask and wardrobe, there's nobody it's almost like the blind is leading the blind, yeah. right? So you have to kind of be I, I guess the guide. Yes. and and you have to be comfortable stepping up to that, and not saying, "Oh, who's gonna? Whose job is it? No, it's your job to do it." Yeah. So you get in front, and then they will follow you,
0: yep. and, and uh,
1: because you're the experience.
0: Yes, and I think this is where I've brought this up on other podcasts. Your goal is not to go in there and be liked; you want to be respected, right? So if you come into a position of being liked, you're going to probably not step off uh, as assertively as you need to be. I think. Have you seen that before?
1: Absolutely. I think it took. It took a long time for, you know, I know for especially myself for most to adjust and recognize that it's all good intent because it was never, it was non-negotiable basically. So my first conversation with my chief smith when I walked in was, Hey, you know, go around, tell me who you are. Because we were coming out of a, you know, like I said, a bad situation, meaning there was no CMC there for six months and it was all kinds of other stuff going on. My thing was I'm not inheriting any of that. Whatever happened, happened from today on. We shall be a mess. And if I come to you and I ask you a question... I just want to say, I just want to hear yes, TMC, and get it done. If you don't know, we will train you. I'll give you the tools, but I'm not negotiating with chief petty officers to do their jobs. And that's the attitude I need you to go out there and tell your sailors, because the way we have to move in the next six months and be ready for deployment, we don't have time to redo anything. And you have to be comfortable standing alone as a leader. It's very uncomfortable at the top. And then to be able to also speak to your captain and to your CO's intent, who also is looking at the Commodore's intent, who's also looking it goes up the chain. So how do you help everybody stay in line and still
0: meet the mark? It's you have to be comfortable in your ability to lead. Uh, and that first conversation is so important, right? That's how you set the tone, right? So you've you've walked around, you've looked, you've assessed, you've talked to people And now's your time to kind of set the tone, your initial guidance and direction. You let them know up, you know, upfront who you are, what you're about, what you value and believe in. And that's okay. You're, if it's high standards as it should be, you're going to see them adjusting to that. Right. And then, Hey, tell them where you see them not meeting the standards at the same time. Right. You don't want to come in like some jerk, right? And alienate your team. Right. (laughs) Don't never blame your boss before. Don't criticize your predecessor or current team performance. Don't try to dominate or attack people or go to unprofessional personal attacks because then then you're just going to alienate the team, right? So, when you step off here, you're actually helping build that personal power base and you're establishing your character and credibility. So, if you come in in this firm approach, you're going to be okay. Um, exactly.
1: And in our case, it was very good because, I mean, I, I actually didn't have any pushback. After just saying, hey, if it's not negotiable chiefs will chief up. So yep. it's, it was actually good because I had a very, like I said, young mess. So it was very, it was refreshing because they were eager to learn also. So it wasn't the easiest thing because you guys, we, you almost had to grow from scratch. But it helped us, helped us be unified and, you know, be the team that was required to get that command from where it was at to where it is today.
0: Okay. So I think a part of going in a new position also is managing your own personal expectations of yourself, right? And, and take, and knowing it's okay to take time to grow, right? And gaining the confidence in your position. So what was your experience with that?
1: It took me a minute to really take in that I was somebody's CMC. So, you know, the first month or, or so I would sit in my office after a long day of just trying to get things done and just look at, look at my, you know, anchor. And I'm like, Oh my I'm somebody's master chief. Can you believe it? <laughs> yeah. And then for, you know, before I made it to master chief, you know, it was always a goal, you know, I want to be a CMC. I want to be a CMC. So, I just knew how to get to the next level. But then now you make Master chief, you make CMC, what, what's the next level? So I was a little confused because I always knew how to run. What's the next run? There was no more running. And what I had to sit there to figure out, like, what, what am I supposed to do? And it wasn't until a month and some change into my role that I realized there's nothing else to do but to pay it forward. Yeah. So there was nothing else to do but to groom the next, you know, Samira McBride, but to groom the next, you know, commanding officer, and once that dawned on me, it really made it easier for me to manage my expectations and control what I can control because when those situations happen that bring negative light to you or negative light to the command, I didn't take any of it personal. I more looked at it as like okay, so how are we going to get out of this? How are we going to get ahead of this? Because I had no personal interest or personal Gain in it, and I think that was the best thing that could have happened to me—that epiphany. Because if it wasn't for that, I would have been a confused CMC still trying to figure out what's in it for me. But there's no such thing at that level, and that—that that was, I would say, what what helped me align with my role as CMC. And then after that, everything was smooth.
0: Yeah, it's uh, interesting because you know through our whole career, right? The first, you know, one of the big changes is like, hey, first you're a petty officer, and that takes them like, wow, I'm wearing a crow, right? Just these little. <laughs> you know, in some cases, you know, it's just, especially in the military, just that change in uniform a little bit, wearing a different piece of swag or something, right? Even becoming a senior chief or a mass chief, right? You put stars on, and people start addressing you differently. It's weird initially, right, to kind of take that all in, but there is that adjustment period, and you get used to it. Ideally, you don't get complacent with it, but you value and respect the position you're in and then how people are going to treat you differently. So, all right, let's shift gears to uh, something a little different, right? And we mentioned this a little bit, but there's going to be some cases when you're going to transition from being the peer to the supervisor. And we did this, right, because chief petty officers, right? You got to break out of the the group of first-class petty officers, and now you're in that role as a chief petty officer, being selected as command mass chief. Hey, you were in that mess with other LCPOs and stuff, and now you're in that position of leadership on the mess, and you've got access to different things, and you've got the ability to really wield some power or give advice to a commanding officer who can wield influence and power on people's careers. What's been your experience with transitioning from peer to supervisor?
1: I do that seamlessly because I don't really get attached to anything. If it's really, it really all depends on who I'm dealing with. If I'm dealing with someone who understands peer versus supervisor, then there's no issue. If I'm dealing with somebody who doesn't understand that, then I adjust it. Uh, simply because it could be detrimental to not only good order and discipline, but to ensuring we get the job done or we get confused. And I feel like if you, if you want the respect that I'm going to give you, you have to give the respect in return. Don't put me in a position to treat you like I'm your supervisor, especially if we're peers. But if we're peers and you, you know, you want to put yourself in a position, to get handled like I'm your superior, then so be it. Is Again, it comes back to being comfortable in my ability to do my job.
0: You often hear, hey, it's all business, right? It's not personal. That's what people mean by that is I have responsibilities to fulfill and I have authorities to fulfill those and I expect you to meet the standards like anyone else. And as long as you do that, we can be okay, right? Don't take advantage of the fact that we're peers or we had that kind of relationship because that's never going to be good and don't feel tempted that you have to do that if people are starting to use leverage against you so all right so let's talk about any less bits of thoughts or advice on growing into a new role position authority what else would you offer or any kind of were there any books you read or any articles
1: i did a podcast about a week ago and i shared a book on there which is failing forward by John C Maxwell and it talks about just turning mistakes into stepping stones. So for this one here I think I would rather I would use a a resource and that will go into advice or anything I could give anybody who is going into their role and who needs to allow themselves to grow into their role. Part of it is that you got to be patient with yourself and understand that uh, you have a network pool of people who have done that job. So what's going to make you successful is going to be that you are able to reach out and tap into those people who have that experience and, and create a circle of influence of people who've been tested in that job that you, you are going to do, um, or you, you're charged to do simply because a lot of times we suffer in silence. Or we think we're, you know, doing this thing alone or we're the only one dealing with this. But everybody has been through it. What has made me uh, successful as a command master chief leading to this point is the fact that I always ask questions. I always, always ask questions. A situation comes up. I always try to run it by somebody to make sure that I am, even if I know I'm right. I still run it by somebody because, or a few people because whatever decisions I make or whatever I advise the captain on affects a lot of people's lives. So I want to make sure that I'm doing the right thing. Also, recognizing that you're human. You're going to make mistakes, but it's okay, provided that you're not making the same mistakes over and over and not learning from it. Build your resource team and then also... Mentorship goes up and down. Don't be so stuck on self to where you don't think you can ask um, input from people who are lower ranked than you, because a lot of the great input actually comes from those who are lower ranking. Because the changes you're going to make makes a difference in their lives way more than it makes on the senior people's lives.
0: Awesome. And then one other book that I I read I haven't read in a while, but it's called The First Ninety Days. It's a great book. You know, when I was uh, new in the command mass, we had to read that. But it gives you an opportunity to kind of assess and gives you some great advice on stepping off in a new role and how you use that first 90 days and why that window is so critical to making changes. So, all right, Samira, thanks again. Uh, Great discussion. Thanks again for coming on board and good luck to you in your future roles.
1: Hey, thanks, Paul. I appreciate the uh, opportunity and uh, good luck to you as well.
0: All right. Thanks. All right, everyone. Thanks again for listening to another episode of the Cutlass Podcast. If you want to learn more about the topic we've discussed today and any other episodes, you can check out the Chief Petty Officer's Guide or any other resources we'll list in the episode description. To provide me feedback or suggest topics for future episodes, please email me at cutlassleadership at gmail.com. Make sure to subscribe to the Cutlass Podcast on your podcast channel and like, share, and comment so you can help me keep this content out and about. I'm Paul Kingsbury. Work hard to keep your leadership cutlass sharp, reflect and improve, and then take what you learn and become a sturdy, versatile, incredible leader who makes a positive difference in your personal and professional life.